good to be here. It's been about two years since we were here last, and it's always nice coming back for the marine layer. So, actually, it's hotter in Hungary, so we like it. So, thank you for having us this time of year. We've been in Hungary with crew for 18 years. We live in Budapest, but we serve all over Eastern Europe, developing, mentoring, and training our staff. And I don't do it alone. My wife, Debbie, does a lot. Stand up. And my daughter, Anna, is here, too. She's in high school. She doesn't want to admit it. Uh, and I've got, and actually, I'm from Chicago originally, but Debbie is from Corral de Tierra because she grew up around here. So she's the local girl. We've got two boys, uh, one who's in Boston, going to MIT, doing grad school. And his brother is at Northwestern in Chicago. And they're both studying mechanical engineering because they love math, unlike their dad. So I love people who can do things like that. So today, we're going to talk about four responses to Jesus. We'll look at Mark 3, 1 through 12, but let me tell you a little bit of a story about when I first got to Europe. I was on a team, and on this team was a person, a woman, who I didn't really get along with. And she kind of graded me, and I thought, well, this person caused me a lot of problems. And I was talking to my best friend, he happened to live in Germany, and I was telling her about my struggles and what it was like to be with this woman. And in the midst of telling him, you know, my best friend should be sympathetic, he says, Jim, this is the girl I'm attracted to. And I thought, oh, no. First, I thought my best friend's letting me down. Secondly, I, I talked, told the wrong person about this. So he helped me, and I eventually saw her in a different light and saw a lot of her positive characteristics, her strengths. But it shows us a lot of times two people can look at one person, come up with totally different perspective. Think about, now this could happen with this person, but think about Jesus. He's perfect. He never sinned. He loves people. He's gracious. He heals. He's not selfish. But yet, in this text, we're going to find four responses of how people viewed him, a perfect, loving man. So, we're basically, we're going to look at today at these four responses, one of being skeptical, selfish, subordinate, and submitting. And my thesis is that how we respond to Jesus reveals our view of God and our degree of trust in him. So how we look at Jesus shows how we view God and how we trust him. And I'm going to give you two two thoughts to think about. I'll get back to these at the end, but as you're thinking through this, this sermon today, think about how do I tend to respond to Jesus, and how could I, with God's power, how could I do that? But let's look at our passage in Mark 3, 1 through 12. It says, again, he, that's Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, that's the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, that's the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and the hand was restored. 
the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus withdrew with the disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So we have four responses here, four different groups of people. The first is the skeptical or the doubtful approach. These are people who are unwilling to learn, they're forgetful, they're critical, uh, they've forgotten what God has done in the past. And so here we are, they're going into a synagogue, and there's a man with a withered hand. And if you read in chapter 2 beforehand, Jesus has been in a synagogue already. And it's, this is in Capernaum, it's very likely, same synagogue, same Pharisees, same day. And there's the man here, there with the withered hand. Just seems that he's, he's there, he wasn't expecting Jesus necessarily. But the Pharisees are there, and they're watching to see if Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath. Why? So that they might accuse him. Now, if you start in chapter 1 and 2 of Mark, you get kind of the backstory. Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. There were some demons he cast out. And even Peter's mother-in-law, who had a fever, was made well on the Sabbath. No backlash then, but the Pharisees probably heard about this. And they're watching Jesus. Also, since then, um, remember the man who was lowered through the roof of the house because they couldn't get to Jesus? Well, Jesus didn't say, be healed. What he said to them was, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees going, wait a minute, your sins are forgiven? Only God can say that. Plus, we also have some blowback here. People said, look, John's disciples, they fast. Your disciples? They don't fast. Why not? And also, the Pharisees on the Sabbath, probably on this very day, they see the disciples of Jesus going through the fields and picking the heads of grain. And they say, that's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So here we are. That's why they're, they're looking and trying to accuse Jesus. Now, it's, it's sad. It's the Sabbath. They're in the synagogue. It's a time to worship. But they're trying to find ways to trip up Jesus. So the rabbinical writing said if there was a life-threatening emergency, it's okay to heal on the Sabbath. But here's a man with a withered hand. The Pharisees are thinking, this is not life-threatening. Why, why does he have to be healed today? Interestingly enough, though, the Pharisees acknowledge that Jesus can heal. I mean, they're there watching to see if he will heal. So they admit, but they don't want to admit where he gets his power from, that he's perhaps God or he's been sent by God. And they're being very critical. They're looking at what's going wrong, what's, what's negative, what they don't like. Now, living in Budapest, Hungary, this is kind of worn off on me, although sometimes I think maybe it's, maybe I came into the world that way, but it's very easy to be critical in Central Europe. One time, when I lived in Switzerland, my director, he told me, he was Swiss, 
He said, Jim, uh, if you ever do anything right, I won't praise you. But if you mess up, then I'll tell you what you did wrong. And I thought, okay, well, he's up front. That, that's good to know. So, but I have to admit, he, he was actually a liar because he did praise me. And I'll tell you later on something he did. But basically, it's like whenever you make a mistake, that's when your teacher tells you and say, oh, that's wrong. Don't do that again. So it's looking for the things that are wrong. So Jesus says to the man that with the withered hand, he says, come here. This is also very interesting. Usually in the Gospels, when someone is sick, they go to Jesus and they ask him, can you heal me? But this time, Jesus goes to this person. And he, in a sense, is also provoking the Pharisees. Because I think he knows that they are looking at him. And he says to the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Now, you, you think, okay, it's the Sabbath. Jesus knows these guys don't like him. Wouldn't it have been a lot easier to say, we'll do it tomorrow, that Jesus would say to the man, let's meet for coffee, and I'll, I'll take care of this then, okay? Be a lot easier, no hassle with the Pharisees, and the man is still healed. Why didn't Jesus do that? Well, one of the main reasons is because what it says here, the Sabbath is a day to do good, to heal, to restore, to give life. And so for Jesus to withhold compassion would have been going against the spirit of the Sabbath. And it's the issue isn't if Jesus can heal on the Sabbath. Jesus could heal on any day. But Jesus, is he the Lord of the Sabbath? Does he have authority? And that's what he's trying to show the Pharisees. I am greater than the Sabbath. Yes, I can heal. And I, it's appropriate to do it on this day that we're celebrating, that we're coming together. So Jesus asks the Pharisees a question, and it's about his identity. It's about his spiritual authority. And so how do they respond? Exactly. In silence, they say nothing. Okay. Now, this, this reminds me of things. If you're in school or maybe if you're on a job, sometimes you may get in a meeting or in a class, and your teacher is saying something. It's an idea that you or your boss that you don't agree with. And you're kind of trying to hide behind other people, hoping that no one asks you a question. They ask you, what do you think about this? Because if you're going to be honest, you're going to have to say, I don't believe in that. So you don't want to commit to that. So the, the Pharisees, the same way, they don't want to admit they see this far differently. So they are quiet. They don't answer Jesus here. So they are critical but they're doing something that's been done before. Think about Moses in the wilderness. He has all the people that are coming from Egypt, the Israelites. And he's been given instructions for them. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 30. It says, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, then you shall live and multiply. God will bless you. But if your heart turns away, you'll perish. Now we think about the plagues, you know, when the Israelites are delivered from Egypt, God did amazing things, parting of the Red Sea. But then we think of the manna, the times when the people said, we don't have meat, we don't have anything to drink. And they began to complain and say, 
You know, it was a lot better in Egypt. We had leeks and onions and garlic, but here we don't. They began to complain. Now, that happened to Moses. Jesus is the second Moses. He does greater works than Moses, but people still complain and are skeptical. They're doubting about what he can really do. And that's what we see here when Jesus says, is it right to do something good on the Sabbath? So Jesus looks around him and he says, verse 5, with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretches it out and his hand was restored. This is the only time in the Gospels that it says Jesus was angry. We, that's not the Jesus we think of, someone who's angry. But in this situation, he is. Why would he be angry? Now, when I get angry, oftentimes it's over little things. Somebody cuts me off while I'm driving. I go to the refrigerator looking for a piece of pie that I've been thinking about all day, and it's gone. Somebody ate it. Uh, my plans change suddenly. These are just, just minor things. But Jesus, he's, he's angry because people don't believe him. He has authority. He has done miracles, but they don't look at him as being from God. They, they kind of want to ignore what he is and what he's done. And it says he's grieved, which reminds us, too, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, he's praying about what's going about to happen to him, and his heart is grieving. So he's grieving over the hardness of the heart, these, these Pharisees. And this hardness of heart, it's kind of like when on your, either on your hands or on your feet you get calloused. And so that can be good if you're a runner, you want to get, get tough feet. But if you want to be sensitive, let's say to the word of God, that's not good to have this callous around your heart. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. You are either unwilling or unable to listen to my words, to be teachable. You're proud. You, you don't want to listen to this. You are stubborn. Now, it'd be easy to say, well, that's the Pharisees. We know about those guys. But Jesus uses this word hardness of heart a number of times in Mark. One time in chapter 16, it's after his resurrection. And Jesus is talking to the dis disciples and he says, Guys, remember, you know, some people came to you and said they they'd saw the resurrected Christ, but you didn't believe them. He said, you had hard hearts. Why didn't you believe? And so even believers, even people that had been with Jesus for three years have hard hearts. And Jesus is saying, this is not what you want. This is not what, what, what um, pleases my father. So the hard-hearted Pharisees are there, but Jesus says to the man with the, with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. He does, and he's healed. Now the Pharisees, you think they're, they're ready to accuse Jesus of a work, but it's really interesting. What, what does Jesus actually do? He doesn't touch the man. He doesn't do anything except speak a word. God speaks a word. Which kind of reminds us of Genesis 1. God spoke and the world came into being. This is the power that Jesus has. He can heal, but he is the Lord of the Sabbath. But he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's also the creator of the world, the creator of the universe. And so on this Sabbath, it should really be a celebration. Because we're thinking back to this creator and what he has done. He's restored someone. He, the man was not able to use his hand, but he's been, been made whole now. 
so. It should be a day of celebration, rejoicing. How do the Pharisees respond? Verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Unbelievable. First, it's unbelievable that the Pharisees would get together with the Herodians. The Herodians were into political power, but they don't really believe in, in, in God and Jesus. It's, it's more um, it's a secular kind of belief they have. They're believing in the restoration of Israel. They don't want to lose what they have. But it's pretty desperate if they have to work with the Pharisees. But they want to get rid of Jesus. What's also ironic, the day that Jesus heals a man and gives him life, people are plotting against him to take that life away. That's when they're saying, well, we're going to destroy him. We're going to kill him. But this is what happens. So being skeptical. This is something in, in all these responses, the one I probably relate to the most. Um, and it's something where I can get critical. I wonder, is God really going to work? When we were in Austria initially, our first two and a half years, it was really slow going. We didn't see anyone respond to Christ. We thought, you know, we share our faith, but no one's interested. God, did you really want us here? Uh, maybe people in Austria, maybe they really aren't, don't want to know you. Maybe we, we can't do anything. Maybe it's just the way the people are, and, and God is, is helpless here. Kind of, kind of skeptical, thinking God is not able to work. Second response after being skeptical is self-centered. That's selfish. What's in it for me? Uh, I want to be blessed. I want to prosper. I want everything to go well for me. And I'm not thinking about serving others or helping. It's just me. So here we are in verses 7 8. It says, Jesus withdrew to the sea. And then we have people coming from all over, great crowds are there and he's on this lake shore teaching probably one to get away from the religious leaders to be out in the open maybe to show a rejection of judaism and the pharisees maybe also to extend his ministry but we see here when you think about the map and where they are jesus is kind of like a rock star believe it or not there's 20 references in mark where people are all around him it's whether it's early in the morning, late at night, um, he's got to get out in this boat to get away from him. So he even has people here from places he's never been, like Idumea. But people have heard about him and heard of what he's done. So they are there, just throngs of people. This kind of reminds me, if you've been in public transportation, at least in Europe, when we get on the metro during rush hour, you think there's a lot of people, then you get to the next stop, and even more come on. And so there's this great throng. And you would say, well, Jesus, why don't you want to be with these people? Well, what happens is that they get closer and closer to him. He wants to teach. They basically want to touch him. Do you remember the story of the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years? And she's in this crowd, and she just wants us to touch his garment, thinking, then I'll be healed. Well, that's what a lot of these people thought, if we could just touch him. So that's going to make teaching for Jesus a little difficult. So he wants to get on this mobile pulpit, get on the boat, and get out there. But why were these people there? They basically wanted to be healed. Did they want to be taught? Maybe. Did they really want to follow Jesus? Not necessarily, but they wanted their physical needs met. Important, 
But Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God, the gospel. So he tells them to get the boat ready. Um, They're out there. And they're thinking about their own needs. And I can think about myself. There's times where that's what I think about. Ask me about my prayer life. What do I pray for most or more often? Usually, it's my family, if I'm honest, where I have to think, am I praying for other people? Am I praying for, for other countries? Do I, am I gripped when I read about Syria in the news and what's going on there? Or do I pray when I read things about North Korea? Or I'm just thinking about uh, what, what needs I have. When our needs are good, we should pray, take everything to the Lord. But where, what characterizes me most? So we can be skeptical. We can be self-centered. Thirdly, we can be subordinate. And what happens here in verse 11, we have an encounter with some unclean spirits. And the way they respond, it's out of fear, of out of obligation, of out of, I have to do this. So this is very interesting. It says, whenever unclean spirits come in contact with Jesus, they fall down. He doesn't have to tell them to fall down. They do it automatically. Why? They realize the power, the authority that Jesus has, and they just fall down. Now, this happens about six times in Mark. The people from all these different places who came to be healed, they, they saw a, a miracle worker. The demons, they cry out and say, the Son of God. Now, this was a term that was hardly used in the Gospels. The centurion, after Jesus was crucified, he said, my Lord, my God, this, behold, this was the Son of God. It's the ultimate title of Jesus. Now, it's not that these demons, that they worship with their heart. They're not worshiping Jesus, but they recognize him as God. In fact, Jesus commands them not to make him known. You think about it. Here you are, Son of God. And who do you want to announce you? Demons? That's probably not the kind of welcoming uh, group that you want to have because they admit the power, but they're not following you with a, with a pure heart. So the other reason he doesn't want this is because it's not yet time for Jesus to reveal this, to make this known to other people. But the demons realize who Jesus is. They realize that authority. They have to submit to Jesus. But it's kind of like Pharaoh and Moses. Moses would work miracles. The plagues would happen. Pharaoh realized God was working, but it's not like Pharaoh said, oh, can I come worship with you, Moses? Tell me more about your God. He just realized that and had to follow it. It's more of obligation. Sometimes in my life, you know, I think about, well, I know what God wants me to do. I don't want to do it, but if I don't, you know, I'm going to get in trouble. God's going to punish me. Um, there's going to be consequences. So it's, it's fear. It's, it's obligation. The heart is just not there. So finally, after a skeptical response, a selfish one, a subordinate one, then we come to submitting. That's doing something because you want to. Your heart's involved in it. It's, it's done with joy and obedience and humility. So here we have the man with a withered hand. He's coming up. And this reminds me, remember I told you of my director in Switzerland, um, where he did do some very great things for me. Well, I was going to take a trip, and I was going to go um, fly back to the U.S., but I had to take the, tri- the train from Zurich to Basel. So my director says, hey, I'm going to go with you. 
he buys me breakfast. It's an hour and a half trip just so he can be with me. When he gets to Basel, he goes all the way back. But he wanted to spend time with me to see how I'm doing, to pray for me, to show his concern. He didn't have to, but he wanted to, purely from his heart. And so we see this with this man with the withered hand there. Um, He's there, uh, happens to be there, and Jesus sees him. And it's kind of like Jesus makes him a case study. And I don't know how you would feel if all of a sudden if I pointed at you and said, stand up and I call your name and, and start talking about you in front of everyone. Probably be a little embarrassing, especially if you're in a group which tends to be hostile, which the Pharisees were. And you think about it, they didn't like Jesus doing things on the Sabbath. Uh, and I think Jesus knew that. And I think that man with the withered hand also knew that. And so if he gets associated with Jesus, they're not going to like him either. And these are the religious leaders. Jesus says, stand up. And plus, think about this too. If you stand up and you have a deformity, it's something you're not proud of, you want to show everyone, but stand up and stretch out your hand. All the Pharisees see this. Now, it could have been easy for the man to say, well, excuse me, I've got things to do at home now. But he stretches his hand out and Jesus heals him. He has to trust that Jesus will do this. He has to live with the consequences. What will the Pharisees think of me later on? But he's willing to do this, and he believes in Jesus. It reminds me of, too, sometimes when I share my faith, I can share with one person, but then you get another person there, and I think, well, I start thinking, what are they thinking about me? Do they like it that I'm a Christian? Are they against that? You know, am I willing to to put my neck on the line for Christ and do that? I have to trust God there. So wrapping this all up, we have these four responses. Skeptical response, we have a selfish response, a subordinate one, and a submitting one. The Pharisees had this hard heart. They were skeptical. The crowd said, what's in it for me? It's very selfish. The unclean spirits are fearful. That's the only reason they obey Christ. But the submitting man, his heart is with it. But this reminds me of an experience I had in Budapest. I used to be involved in Boy Scouts. And one of the things that we did uh, was go caving. Now, I heard about this from our former scoutmaster. And he said, these caves, they're right in Budapest. He said he's going through these caves, but he got stuck. And the reason he got stuck, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't overweight or anything, but he had his wallet in his pocket. And that's why he got stuck in this one hole. And actually, it's worse than this. This is actually the actual cave. And so I hear about this. And, you know, we do these events every couple years. And so now it's it's time again to go caving. No other adult leader can go except me. And I'm slightly claustrophobic. And I'm thinking about this. And I go, I don't know if I'm really excited about going with these Boy Scouts. But I'm the leader. I'm supposed to know how to do it and be the great example. Um, and actually, I went and it worked out well. But you know why? I, th- I thought about this. I said, we're going with a guide. Okay, He's going to lead us through. He's been here before. He's gone into the cave and he's gone out of the cave. That's good. I can trust him. I won't get stuck there. And the other thing, I thought, he has a lot of experience. And what I did, he was up there and I got right behind him. And so when he moved like this, I moved like that. He moved like that, I did exactly the same thing. I thought, 
I can trust this guy, and he will get me through. And it worked. I did it. And it's just like this. If how we respond to Jesus reveals our view of God, do we trust him? Do we believe he loves us, that he forgives us, that his grace is sufficient? Do we do that? So looking at my own life, I struggle with some of these areas. Like I said, the main one is sometimes being critical, being skeptical. Like being living in Hungary, it's easy. Um, sometimes people say their, their main sport, their public sport, is complaining. You know, whatever, whatever happened today, well, that's okay, but, you know, it was better yesterday. Well, that kind of, kind of can rub off on you. So I've had to say, Lord, I'm going to thank you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to believe that you, you are in control of things. But when I'm selfish to say, how can I serve people? Or when I'm afraid saying, can I trust God with this? Can I be confident? Can I be like that person, like the man there, who stretched out his hand and said, yes, I will let you heal me, Lord. So that takes it back to us, to each one of us. How do you respond to Jesus? Are you skeptical, selfish? Are you subordinate? Are you submitting to him? And no matter where you are, and it probably varies each day, but you may have one that you tend to do. But what can you do with God's power? And this is very important. It's got to be with God's power. It's not just you. How can God change you so that you respond in a way that it's, it's not one with a hardened heart, but it's one with a soft and a willing heart? Those are things to think about. How do I tend to respond? And Lord, how can I with your power, how can I do that? Let's pray. Lord, you have created us. You know the situations we're in. We know it's, it's easy to lose sight of you, to forget you, to just think in our own, own strength. But we want to trust you. Give us warm, sensitive hearts that are open to you. Help us to, to follow you with joy, to trust you, to know that what the situation you put us in, you can lead us out of it. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your power to change us.